Hey, what's up everybody? It's episode 166 of No Guitar Is Safe, the guitar show where guitar heroes plug in. And thanks to Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com, we got another incredible hang with Alan Hines, who's a very deep player. He was on the show back in 2016, but he has so much to offer. And he also has a hit song on the smooth jazz charts randomly, which has kind of surprised him. So we thought we'd go back up to his amazing guitar lair in the hills of Los Angeles, the Hollywood Hills, and check out Alan and all his approaches. He's going to show you, like, you know, what are some things to look for when you're choosing an overdrive pedal, or how do you build a solo? How do you comp behind a singer and have them really like it? so many things how do you release your own music how important is it to start doing that and becoming an artist and learning the process of producing your own albums and bringing them to the world it's a lot of fun a lot of deep inspiration and i even throw a pedal at alan the new halo pedal from robert keely and andy timmons from keely electronics and uh, see if he likes it and uh, he still has it so i think he likes it <laughs> I'm going to have to find another one of those, I think. I've never seen that again. It's a great episode, again, brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine. I'm out here on the road right now. This intro I am recording in the back lounge of our tour bus. I'm with Jefferson Starship. We play first every night. All these big sheds because we're on the bill with Night Ranger. He plays second. And then the headliner, Brett Michaels. It's awesome. There's a bunch of great guitar players in those bands. You got Brett's longtime right-hand lead guitarist, Pete Evick, with Brett Michaels and Dean Kramers also on second guitar. And then, of course, Night Ranger, Kerry Kelly and the great Brad Gillis, who we had a huge in-depth interview with Brad on episode two of this podcast, which is actually the first one I ever recorded. But I had already promised episode one to Joe Satriani, Brad was nice enough to be episode two, even though I recorded it first. Don't miss that. It's a thrill to see Brad every day and sometimes play his famous 62 Strat for a few seconds. Because, you know, when I was 12 years old and I saw my second rock concert, it was Ozzy Osbourne and Brad Gillis was on lead guitar over there on stage left. I'll never forget it. And then there I am playing that same guitar all these years later. Uh, those little moments are priceless. We're having a ball out here. Um, who else is on the bill? Oh, they also got Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray doing a few hit songs and Steve Ogeri from uh, Journey. He was in Journey for a few years and he sings the shit out of these tunes, the big hit songs. And it was nice in, uh, I think it was Jersey, Adam Holland stopped by, Steve's lead guitarist, and it was good to get a proper hang in with him. And uh, so we're just having a ball out here. Hope you're having an inspired summer yourself. Again, keep it alive to your 95. And thank you, Guitar Player Magazine. So let's get right to it. We're revving up the chopper, flying straight up to Alan's house. And we'll be plugging in with him in five, four, three. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the dulcet tones of Mr. Alan Hines. Returning to the show, it's brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. 
I love Alan Hines. I'm just a fan, and I'm proud to say a friend, too, and we're kind of neighbors. Right, and, we're both uh, uh, canyon dwellers, pretty much. Yeah, basically. Laurel Canyon area. And, um, of course, you're higher up the hill. I love this spot. Alan has played with so many great artists over the years, including Bobby Caldwell, who we just lost recently. And um, Gino Vanelli, I just did some recording with him last week. Gino Vanelli, what a killer fusion singer, artist, band leader. Um, Randy Crawford, best known also as the singer of the Crusaders. I love Randy, she's amazing. And she's your neighbor, kind of, I hear. Yeah, literally, we could throw a rock and probably hit her house. Yeah, let's not. Probably shouldn't do that. But we could turn up the guitars and see if she comes <laughs> over. She would hear it. She's got ears like Bambi. Roberta She's... Flack. Come on, dude. Roberta Flack, you're killing me. Softly. Kind of a, you know, oh, it's sorry, her... I couldn't help it. Well, it's you know that was really cool. But it wasn't like she called me. It was like a, there was a, a joint tour called uh, Colors of Christmas. And when they first started back in the early 90s, the concept was to get like four principal artists and do their hits and Christmas songs. Yeah. So it was. Um, I was thrown into like a rhythm section, yeah. and we backed up like her and uh, who at the time? Who were the other singers? Did you play uh, James Ingram, Peebo Bryson, uh, James Ingram, um, and uh, who was the uh, uh, not Shania Twain? Um, Sheila Sheila Easton. Sheena Easton. Sheena Easton. Yeah. And it different. But, but Roberta, they, she hired me for two, and we actually got along really well. She was my favorite to back up because she was so very cool Dude, that's, did you play um, did she do Feel Like Making Love yeah we um, we did you know the first time I ever saw your face and um, I had heard nightmares about her as far as being hard on the band but she was really super sweet to, to me she she liked me for some reason and we used to hang out in the restaurants and talk she was just a really cool person to be around what did you I learn thought, playing with her like she's one of the greatest singers of our entire you know last hundred years real stylistic huh yeah. yeah, I mean, what I learned from I learning from the main thing I learned from playing with so many great singers is just kind of how to comp and not get in the way. And that yeah. was a they you know playing with Randy Crawford. She lets you know immediately when you're stepping on her vocals. And I learned I learned not to do that. You probably saw when I played with yeah. Max Ann last time. I'm usually yeah. working around her vocals a lot because I'm always kind yeah, of show tuned. me what you mean. Like, uh, well, what, what would Randy say to you, or what were you doing when you got? When she, uh, I know made that you know suggestion in being teaching at MI for years and years. You know, you learn like little patterns and and things you're supposed to do playing rhythm. So sometimes students concentrate on their own parts so much they just forget to listen. And sometimes you know you don't need any more than just uh, you know just a pad underneath the singer. Or sometimes just a and you let it ring. Yeah. So this, but you so you kind of learn. You have to learn the phrasing like you would solo, kind of in a weird yeah. way. But you're kind of always have to be aware of what the melody is happening. So you either compliment them or, uh, or give them support. You know that's. Yeah. And I don't know. It's uh, that that was a real big learning curve when I left MI because when I left MI I was kind of the Alan Holdsworth. I could do a lot of the chromatic stuff that he did. I mean nowhere close to his genius of course but i could kind of emulate it enough that people thought i was that guy anyway and so i remember going to my first recording session um after mi and i thought i was all ready man my chops were up and i had my sundowner amp which was the one that alan holdreth had it kind of endorsed yeah. for a second you know and yeah. i remember i went to the studio i remember i had a buzz on one side it was an r&b hip-hop song and back then you know the drum machines were really unforgiving you know it was like it was like a really machine yeah. you know so if your time wasn't perfect and I just stood at like a sore thumb of the track, you know, trying to play a rhythm part. Then I was playing different parts every verse. That's another thing I learned from playing with singers that you come up with a part. Paul Jackson is yeah. is insanely King. the best at all that, you know, where he comes up with a little part. It might just need. 
might be enough for the whole verse section. And then at the end, a little fill, a little go back into this. And what I was doing every time was I was improvising. I was creating a different part every verse. They had to go, Alan, please decide on one part. Anyway, after about three hours of struggling with me, they let me go and they never, they paid me, but they never really called me back. So I, it was really humbling, you know, and that and. Um, Wait, who was that with? That was a session. That was, was I remember that one particular session down, it might have been at Ocean Way or someplace nice. I went there and I just stunk it up. But I went back to the drawing board and I realized I need to go back and listen to the guys yeah. who were playing rhythm stuff, you know. And then, because I could always solo. Yeah. I've always been a good soloist <laughs> since I was a kid. You know, growing up in yeah. Alabama, I could, I could I listen to Eric Clapton and Dwayne Allman. Freddie King were my earliest influences, Jimmy Page. And Jimmy Page was really great, which I found out later was a big influence. I didn't, when I did some reverse engineering into my own stuff, I realized I got a lot of my layering ideas from Jimmy Page because he would just, if you listen to any of my CDs, there's like five guitars sometimes going on doing different things, slide in the background. There's a, you know, because I like, I, in lieu of being able to play keyboards, I would just keep layering different guitar tones. And I, What's a good example right now of one of your songs that I could fly in that has layers? Yeah, probably Fact of the Matter. That's one of the first ones I ever wrote. Slides is the title of the third or fourth CD I did. Yeah, you'll hear there's lots of different stuff going on in the back. Um, but, you know, that's, and that kind of became, I remember Jeff Babco, you know, I remember saying, God, I remember complaining to him about, you know, apologizing for all my parts he was having to learn on keyboards. He goes, no, man, that's what kind of makes your sound. I said, I guess so. It's kind of a and wall of guitar Jeff sound. That's Babco's top call. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Babco, yeah, he was a kind of a regular in my band for a long time until he got so busy he was hard to get. And now I usually use this guy named uh, Matt Rohde, who's also great. Matt Rohde did... I think he probably still works for, I think it's American Idol or, or um, what's the other one? Um, the Voice, American Idol? But he's like, um, he's just, the, he's playing with the Dixie Chicks now, or just the Chicks. Oh, cool. And you know, uh, Owen Berry. That's right. Owen is on the gig, too. Who has been on this show, is playing lead guitar for the Chicks now. Owen's awesome. Yeah, he's one of those natural guys. I don't think he knows a lot of theory, but it doesn't matter because his ear is so good. And he's, he's got really great time. Once again, it kind of comes back to time and knowing which parts to play. Nice touch. Well, yeah. let's, let's play a little something to warm, warm up this uh, episode. Like, I've seen, seeing you at the baked potato last night was so awesome. It's really cool to, 
do this interview the morning after. Well, it's actually one thirty, whatever. The morning after. But morning I, after, I, like, yeah, five I martinis. In, I don't <laughs> believe in rock or any true epic guitar before noon. <laughs> so glad we broke that barrier. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, an, half an hour later. But I remember, like, the first thing you played, it was just like the groove was happening, and it was just like a... I don't know what kind of... Yeah, it's like... Uh, setting like you when you're playing at the potato it might be too much right now you know no no it's beautiful like this the stereo sound coming off your guitars that fills the potato last night is just like uh like what does it actually sound like like if you just hit one note you got a little verb yeah. going or what do you hit like so, a staccato note beautiful so i got the idea from how holdsworth used to set his his uh settings back in the days i remember we were trying our best to sound like Robin Ford or Carlton or whoever was the, the, the happening guy at the time. And Holdsworth, of course, for me, I always loved, I liked this stuff even, you know, and maybe to this day, I'm even more impressed sometimes with his slower legato stuff as I am his fast chromatic stuff. And that's what, yeah. you know, his genius, he was like in another orbit as Jimmy Johnson used to put it. You know, he's, the scales he thinks of and the stuff he can play and the wide stretches, it's just phenomenal. And there's some guys now who do it really great. Uh, you know, there's some other guys around town like Alex Sills. There's some guys who are playing some very Holdsworthy and they can really do that stuff great. And But well, I was always taken just by his, even like his slower melodic stuff. If you listen to Metal Fatigue or listen to some of the old Tony Williams stuff, Jean-Luc Ponte, it's not really the fast stuff that I like so much. It's like the really smooth legato touch that he had. It was yeah. really vocal. It was really, uh, it was really organic and, beautiful and he had this ADA delay had the tap delay thing that would kind of go um 
I think he had like one, and I remember listening to Scott because Scott knew him a little bit better than I did. And Scott Henderson would uh, kind of dissect his sound and was trying to get that same sound too. And Scott told me it was like this ADA uh, tap delay thing that had like all these tapped, and you could set the delay to where the first note would hit and go dun. But it, so it's yeah. basically like a reverb, like a yeah. like a like a spread out reverb. Lovis. And that's you know honestly, I mean every now and then for certain songs, I'll make sure the tap tempo is kind of in. I'll tap it close but for the most part i'm using it kind of as an um an add-on uh, supplemental thing to my reverb to ambience so what's like it's like first into the delay um yeah right. first delay i have a coming i have a uh i kind of went back i did a steve perry audition um a couple years a couple years ago and um he called me like three or four times and it's funny because i it had to go back and learn all those old guitar parts which are great you From know the yeah yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, from Journey. So I got called. I knew he, under a rock. he was putting together some kind of thing, and Travis got me on the audition, Travis Carlton. And so to get that kind of 80s sound, I kind of, I'd been doing the wet, dry thing. Like, the guys were really popular. Whether you have one cabinet completely dry, one cabinet completely wet. But I found even when I played with, you know, kind of soundmen who knew said they knew what they were doing, I would hear a recording, and it would be, like, either all wet or all dry. So I said, screw that. And then the Steve Perry came, thing came along, and I said, well, I'm going to go back and set it up like I used to set it up in the 80s and 90s. So I did that pretty much one, going into one power amp out, feeding a volume pedal and other pedals, and whatever stereo else comes back into both power amps. You know, like... The, yeah. So, yeah, um, I always put the delay before the reverb, and then it's going back into my left and right... Uh, my my two different uh, red plate amps. Two red plate amps. Now, what's your yeah. delay pedal? But they're both Strymon pedals, and I've gone. I mean, I've done. I have the DIG pedal. Um, and then for, does that go into the Blue Sky for some? That verb? goes into the Blue Sky for reverb. Yeah, and I just have it. I kind of like a long delay, like a four second delay, you know, for the reverb. And I just roll off a little bit of the highs, so it 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 yeah. kind of. Um, guitar can be a really. It's weird, man. You know, I um. The way I, ju I pick a guitar is I'll always put on the treble pickup, clean sound like this, and see if it can if it can generate a really sweet tone without being really harsh. Then I'm in the right ballpark for choosing the guitar. And it's so weird because I'll, I'll like I'll get a sound like this, and somebody else will pick up my guitar, and they'll start playing it, picking in a different way. Because I pick it in a very strange way, and they'll pick it really hard. I go, does my guitar sound that shrill and brittle? So, for me, I mean, I just kind of fine tune the way I. Uh, kind yeah. of caress a guitar or I touch the guitar where I do a lot of finger stuff and that's from years of Jeff yeah. Beck and and uh, Joe Pass and stuff um, but even when I pick I use the pick sideways and I kind of brush it like on the so probably yeah I think where you stash the pick right between your first and second well, between three pick the thumb and middle oh, end yeah. when you're holding it right yeah but and I never I never pick it like the Mel Bay version like where you put it um, yeah. um, pair um perpendicular to the string and pick it I kind of brush it sideways so every note kind of has this little whoosh. but uh, you know if I can get the so most of the work is done with my left hand um, but back to the sound yeah so that's uh, that's where I start you know if I get close the, the ambience that stuff all comes later I've had like tons of different reverb pedals and delay pedals the amp and the, the guitar setup and the pickups are what make it for me um, if it's going to work. But then again, I hear other guys pick up my guitar and it sounds terrible. You know, it's it's so it's it's just what works for me. And I think yeah. everybody kind of has their own little, you know, I have my own little uh, idiosyncrasies and little quirky things I do to check out how a guitar is going to work. 
It sounds like you run your amps basically clean, so, uh, but you also have, you know, of course, you're known for just the sweet overdrive, too. So I know that's all in your ears and your fingers and everything, but what is the pedal that you that's, use? That's, well, that, yeah, they, people always ask me that, but that's another, that was always a constant search, too, to find a pedal that, you know, you can find one that feels good, but then it's too compressed and too overdriven. And then yeah. you back it off to get the right tone, then it doesn't have the feel, doesn't have the, the sustain or whatever, you know? So it's a fine line there. I found, I mean, the exotic pedals I started using a long time ago, and I just, I like their AC boost. It was like their really simple pedal. They made those, basically a Tube Screamer clone, I think, yeah. back in the in the 90s and I, they came out so I mean so I've been working with them ever since and then I came to like the AC comp which is the pedal I use if I was going to use a I mean right well, now is, is it clean right now it's totally clean right now um, I had keep a little preamp which gives it uh, some girth and some bottom end and I keep that on and I put that after whatever pedals I use because that's the way to run them if you run it in the front of it it'll change the characteristic of the distortion too much Um, but uh, like when you saw me last night I was using the red plate overdrive which I just something about their they have a three stage uh, gain you mean from the amps? From the amp. Oh, you were using the That amp. was all just the amp distortion, yeah. Uh, which, to me, it's just sounding like the EL34s and this particular setup that they do, I just, I love. It works for me. And they're, yeah. they're like um, workhorses, man. I've had these things for years. The only time it went bad is when I, you know, the tubes went, like, you know, normal keep. Sure. But when I'm on the road and I can't bring the red plates, I bring this AC comp, uh, which is, to me, This one, sorry, but this guitar is an old uh, 55 Les Paul Jr., so it's going to buzz on. Yeah, P90. That's so, beautiful. Yeah, I like overdrive sound, but I can't, you know, it's just got to be enough to make the um, the finger, the pressure your fingers naturally do on the fingerboard. It has to be able to pick that up, and that's, so it has to be sensitive, but it, I like a little grit, too. Maybe a little more aggressive than the Robin Ford sound people because i'm probably pretty close to that he uses a zen drive a lot and he kind of does the same thing i do um when it comes to pedals but this pedal has worked for me i've had it around the world so many times and it just works even if i if i'm in south africa and i get like some kind of weird jc120 with one speaker in it you know it's it's always seems to sound really good that's good so can we hear the amp distortion or is that yeah that crazy loud or something no nice I don't want to overdrive your... Wait. What's that song you got going now? Trying to play it. (laughs) Trying to play the new single. Thank you. 
that song, uh, Keep Forgetting. I never... You, you picked that one up purposely? Yeah, well, I was just, was just thinking, <laughs> you got to let people know that you have, like, a, kind of a hit single in the jazz well, in smooth, fusion world. Kind of in the smooth, 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 smooth jazz. <laughs> it's so funny. You texted me. You're like, hey, check it out. I got this song. It's smooth as a baby's bottom, but for some reason, it's a hit. <laughs> well, um... Sounds great. Can I tell you the whole story really quick? Um, Absolutely. So yeah, the song is "Keep on Forgetting." It's hitting mm-hmm. up the the uh, smooth jazz charts and maybe other charts, and uh, yeah. of course, it's a Michael McDonald cover tune. Yeah, careful what you great. wish for. <laughs> so tell me what's going on with the song. Well, so I think well, I've talked to you since then. I finished a record in two thousand. Well, let me back up even more than that. I, I played the baked potato pretty regularly, and this one table full of guys used to always pull up right in front of my. Right in the front there, and they, I could. The guys were always there. They always reserved seats, and I could tell they were kind of not your normal, you know, Hollywood dregs material. They were guys really well dressed, and they're. It turns out it was some of the guys from Tears for Fears band, and this guy um, uh, Jay Marciano, who is the uh, CEO of AEG Presents, and they're like a they do they book Coachella, and they their clients are besides Coachella, it's Rolling Stones and Elton John and Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, really big names. I've heard of them. So he came up one night, and I, I kept to the show. People always come up and talk to me during the break, and um, he came up and gave me his card. He says, "Look, Alan," he goes, "I'm a big fan." He goes, "If I can ever help you with your music, or if you ever want to see LeBron James at the Staples Center, let me know." And I said, "That's kind of a weird combination," but I uh, put it in my back pocket. And the next day, I googled him, and he, yeah, his company owns you know the Staples Center, or now it's the CryptoCom Arena, whatever it's called. So I said, "This," I googled him. He's a real guy, you know. So I, I called him up. We talked and had lunch. We got along really well. And he financed a record. He, I already had songs kind of ready to go. So he paid for us. The band locked down East West Studios for a week and um, paid the band fairly handsomely. And I uh, went in there and recorded what I think is my best sounding record. That's for sure. So that was then COVID hit right then at the same time uh, a couple months later. So he said, well, we're not going to put this out until COVID's well over because you can't tour while COVID's going on. I said, and that's the only way you're going to make money, blah, blah. And then at some point he said, look, I can put money into the uh, promotional stuff, but I'd rather find a label to do that. Then I have a friend, T. Siraborn, who's a great uh, mover and shaker, this girl from Thailand, royalty, and she used to live with Pat Metheny. She was um, the first guitar girl student at Berkeley, I think, back in the 70s. She's a very interesting girl, but she knows everybody. She has stuff going. Her name is cool. T. Siraborn. Actually, Pat Metheny named a song after her, Siraborn, which in the real book, it was called The Waltz. And he renamed it Cereborn for Bright Size Life. Anyway, she, together with Gina, she knew I'd just play with Gina Vanelli. I just, um, through the years, I still work with Gina a little bit. I'd recorded something for one of his newest records. So that came on this label called SRG. So they heard that. She recommended me to the owner. And then Jay made a call to them. And they took his call, of course, because Jay's one of the top 10 guys in the Billboard top music shakers movers and shakers so they listened to my record and they signed i signed my first record deal i sent the i don't know anything about you know the legalities and contracts and stuff so i sent it to a few of my friends who i thought did and they all said it's a pretty standard contract so i just did it when the idea was to get them to push my record well uh covid was still kind of on about six months went by and finally they responded to me they kind of called me they started to get busy on it they said alan you know we listened to your record and uh there's not really anything commercial on it and i said yeah i know it's I mean, I'm not really going for that. And they said, well, we'd like to get some of this on the air and help you out if we could. Here's a little budget. Why don't you go back in the studio and record Change the World by the Eric Clapton song and do a version of it and then whatever else would you want to do. So I did a version of that, which I can play at some point, but I uh, added a few sus chords at the end and make it a little bit more smooth, jazzy. And it came out great. I and mean, then we did um, 
we did a version. I, I wrote a song like that morning, like a really simple blues song with a little like Crusaders type of head. I was kind of thinking to put it where you want it, and that Marvin Gaye song, party, like a kind of a party dance song. I was thinking, you know. So we did those two, and then we had a couple hours left over, and I said to Matt Rohde, who was on the session, I said, Matt, what? What's another song we could do? Like something popular from the '90s or something? Like, like maybe a Muck and McDonald song. And then Travis says, "No, my dad already did, you know, been up a minute." So then we said, well, how about, I keep forgetting. I said, oh, yeah, cool. So we just Googled it and sat there and wrote out the chord charts, the form, and uh, made up our own form for it and recorded literally like in the last 20 minutes of the session. We recorded it. And, it be, and that, after we mixed it down, I put, you know, I just, the solo, is, is everybody who hears it says, oh, we recognize that it's you after a couple of notes. I went, really? Because it's, I thought it was just railroading through just to get through the session, you know. My plan was to take it home and really put a killer solo on it, but... We left it like it was. The record company loved it, and so they put it out. And they said, "Alan, you know." And I, I through this whole thing, I've I've said to the record label, I said, "You know, I don't know if I want to be a smooth jazz guy because I don't really relate with a lot of that music um, or a lot of the players in that genre." I've always wanted to be. I've I much prefer being a little less known, you know, quirky fusion guy who kind of has his own style. That's fine enough for me. But they they said, no, we can get some airplay. So I, they said, just trust the process. So I am. And in the last three months, we were the idea, the, the plan was to release I Keep Forgetting then maybe to change the world or this other new song I called, called Better Days. They And that was their plan. But then last month when they were going to switch to the second song, the other first song is charting so well, they just kept it on there. So it's like, I don't know, they said they expected to go really high in the charts, which I, you know, since I didn't write the song, doesn't mean a lot financially to me it gets me out there a little bit in a different world um as they said it attracts more bees to the honey <laughs> and um yes. you know and also maybe sound exchange is a new collection agency i don't know if you know about that that actually pays artists for digital plays you know on radio so it's probably the first time in my life i've gotten a lot of play with my own music i mean i've written stuff for other people that got some airplay your ticket well exactly i'm good for, i know adam holly and i know dave and they're both really great guys and there's, it's just a you know there's a certain sound that that the typical smooth jazz guys get with the grooves and the strings and it's just kind of it all sounds the same to me it's not bad or you gotta change it <laughs> no i don't you know i don't know if i can go there you know without you know drinking a lot um I don't, You're saying it'd be a rough seven days on the boat? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. My, but my stuff, I still like more adventurous stuff. I mean, I still, um, I'm the first person to get bored with my writing or my playing. You know, that's why I'm always on a constant uh, mission to try to play something a little bit left or a little bit different or a little bit more uh, away from the beaten path. And, and, and smooth jazz, it kind of appeals to one demographic to me, and it's kind of one... Um, level which is okay which is not bad i mean there's there's really great players who do it you know who have crossed over and done smooth jazz stuff chuck Loeb comes to mind uh the great chuck Loeb who passed away so over years did you ever know chuck Loeb? he was a guitar player played with steps ahead and did a lot he's in new york but he did smooth jazz. he's a really great player and a great guy or jeff golub you ever know jeff golub yeah, yeah. i who knew jeff i mean I did, I did not know him but 
I interviewed him over the phone in his Sweetheart, last couple of years of his life. Really great guy. Great, I had a chance great to play with him a little bit with Warren Hill back in the day. We weren't really close, but we, you know, I was kind of backing up his stuff, and so yeah. I know it can be done with integrity and like with, um, with stuff. I just a lot of guys in blue jazz who I, I don't know. I mean, their music sounds kind of similar to me, and and a lot of them they kind of play pentatonic stuff pretty well. And I need something a little bit more, uh, a little bigger vocabulary for my personal taste so i don't know i mean i i can't um my band is so good that no matter what we do live it's going to stretch out and be good anyway you know well smooth jazz is interesting because it's maybe the only genre where guitar players can solo all the dang time (laughs) and have the you know have lead guitar such a huge part of it these days although i did hear some songs lately where lead guitar seems to be coming back into pop which is cool i heard the song the other day illy I think her name is Ily, I-L-Y. There's like a big guitar solo in the middle of it. The song is called Signs. Sounds that would like be nice. Lukather from the 90s. Or some, but, you know, like these smooth jazz, it seems like there's maybe some room for it to become... Well, you'd think so, but I even, think, I don't know. It's, um you know, the whole concept of broadcast archi- architecture back in the day, which is yeah. basically they're getting so much glut. They're getting so much product from so many people that the record stations didn't know what to do with it all. So they formed this thing called broadcast architecture. It was basically, I think, two guys. And they kind of decided everything that went on the airplanes. That's why everything kind of sounds the same, I think, and it's all kind of acceptable. But to me, there was like some room for guitar players, but they were always like really super clean, like George Benson or Larry Carlton yeah. at the most. So I never really heard any Jeff Beck rocking out. And actually, when I played with Bobby Caldwell, on one of his records, we did a song called Janet, and I had a big solo in that, not a big solo, I had an eight-bar solo in that. And I, I thought I played okay on it, but they tucked it back so far, and they said they had to do it for smooth jazz, so it sounds like I'm in another room. You know when I'm playing the solo, so I don't know. When I listen to smooth jazz now, it's usually like a George Bensony type of approach, maybe a Pat Metheny approach, maybe. Um, but I don't hear many like Jeff Beck guys. Um, there are some new guys out there that are doing some pretty cool stuff, but it's a whole different world. It's not so much smooth jazz. All right, let's play. Um, what about put it where you want it? Oh, you know that's not, that's kind of smooth jazz, but it's kind of rock. That was a Crusaders, so that kind of um, with Joe Sample is accessible. Get a drum machine going.
This guitar going, man, it doesn't sound like that when I play it. But I'm just. Are you comfortable on guitar? It's, it's a nice guitar. Though. I love this guitar. I'm like, to be honest, I'm like pushing it because I know the mic is nowhere near my amplifier, so I'm trying to project. Oh. But, but I would love to try to just get some sweet dulcet Allen tones. Mm. I mean, I've, you know, I play a lot of rock gigs. I tend to play really hard, but I can see how I could be. Like, maybe I can get it a little more pleasing. Maybe like. Yeah, I do, because I play so much with my fingers. I do, yeah, much, yeah. I do so much legato that I think, I, I, you know, this is weird. I've never thought about this shit at all, but I've had to kind of re-reverse engineer and try to figure yeah. out what makes my, my sound sound the way it does. And a lot of it's because I do so much work with my left hand yeah. that my right hand just kind of generates the energy of the string sometimes. But I get this, like, dynamic yeah. thing that's really, when I'm live, you know, I get a really nice wide dynamic thing, I think. Because I can, I can always go balls yeah. to the wall, you know. And hit with the pick and everything um, when I want to go bluesy, but I can also sweeten it up and get you know to the point where you can, where you get like this almost like just hammer on sounding with, um, which is a nice effect if you yeah. do it in time and do, and do it really. really yeah. So that's a that's the hard thing about legatos. My students, I have a lot of students that can kind of do it, but they have a, it's the timing that's harder for them. I think a lot of times. Yeah, and that's, well, as we know, it makes all the difference. 
Yeah, you know, so I mean, I, I play in the band, you know, Jefferson Starship. Like, yeah, ninety percent of the time we're on ten. It's just a different world. I've been robbed, but you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, this guitar that you've handed me deserves to be played. <laughs> it has a lot of um. There's a lot of nuances in that guitar, you know, that you can yeah. get at a low volume. A good example of that is Julian Lage. If you're listening to him. Yeah, he he, has a, he's old, been on the show since you uh, hmm. were last here and seven years ago. I can't believe it's been seven years since you've been here, but but keep going as, as you were saying. No, but he's a good example of, and Ted Green, guys with Telecasters who can kind of get a lot out of it from, from all volumes. Yeah, I'm in host mode here, but I would love to just well, dive in this guitar for a couple weird, hours. You, tell, tell people what this is. Well... Well, it's, well, I mean, I was trying to think why I even went there, why I even bought the guitar and spent as much money as I did. Um, it's a because it's a Fender guitar, you can buy pieces. And I've always been, I guess, because I was a kid, I grew up yeah. watching people like Jeff Beck and J- Jimmy Page or, or Dwayne Allman. I always have been, you know, everybody kind of likes the old relic stuff. Not anybody can really afford all the old Les Pauls and stuff, and me included, of course. But Fenders are a little more too easier to obtain because they. They're assembly line guitars, so you can just buy the neck. Yeah. And so I contacted so this, this one is guy. A 50, yep, it's a 52. 52 and everything on it is Esquire. a 52 except for the pit guard now. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if the mics were on when you were saying, but mm-hmm. mm. but a 52 Esquire, which means it has the one bridge pickup. That's right. Before the Telecaster became the main thing. That's right. I can't remember the, the and, lineage uh, exactly, but I think they started off as, might have been the Broadcaster, and they had to change the name because it was already taken by yeah. Gretsch to Esquire. And then they had Esquires at first that didn't have a um, truss rod in them. So a lot of the early ones came back, the early 50s. And then they had they were called no-casters for a while because they took the name off. They couldn't use Broadcaster, so it was just said Fender. Those are no-casters. Yeah. And they made the Esquires. But this is one of the first ones that had truss rod in it, I guess. Um, but I bought the neck from the guy in Nashville, some session player there who had about three or four of them. And he was letting one of them go. And I bought it, just the neck. And for years ago, I got, I got it for like $4,000, which is a, a lot. 52 neck? 52 neck, yes. They did, you know, Tadio Gomez, who was the, yeah. the guy who put guitars together for Fender, says TG, and it's dated, I think, December of 52. And then, um, so then I just kind of went on a mission to find the other parts. And the body I got that had been refinished, but it also is dated Tadio Gomez 52. And then the bridge assembly, uh, that serial number on the top, um, you can tell it's it's the old, it's the real old thing, and it's that's the data. From, they're all from '52 now, and yeah. even the the pots and everything. I kind of replaced those and got original pots. So, you know, at the end the of the original day, pots. Mm. <laughs> so at the end of the day, yeah, they're a little crackly sometimes. You have to turn them to kind of loosen them up and clean them up. But um, at the end of the day, I guess if I were to put all that together, I've got maybe you know maybe nine thousand dollars into it. But a '52 Esquire, you know, if it's all original, is worth. A lot more than but that. But uh, you told me a fascinating story about the pickguard, which if you've never held one of these, it literally looks like a piece of plastic from a hardware store. It cut. is. <laughs> that's a now, big what, light. This, is this pickguard original? No, that's the only thing that's not original. I remember I found one on uh, eBay um, years ago that was 3500 bucks, And I said, you know, I, I got to draw the line somewhere. I couldn't really... spend 3500 yeah. bucks for a pickguard, considering it. But, you know, here's the thing. You know, my... It's not oh, even three ply. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, just, but it's not the bake the old bake light I guess is rare and it's hard to find the old original ones. And who knows, maybe the maybe it contributes to the sound a little bit. My little brother used to race bicycles back in high school, right? And, yeah. and he like ten speeds. And he would shave his legs, wear these little speedo outfits and the hat with the thing and he had his spokes were certain they were like they were not they wouldn't cross each other because they were all these little things. Do any of those make a difference, Chris? He goes, Well, 
maybe by itself, not that much, but all of them together make a difference. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe combination of all these little things on a guitar makes it. To me, the biggest tone uh, effector is the neck. That neck I've had on about five different bodies through the years, just curiosity, and it always sounds great. I just yeah. think, because, uh, you know, it's a majority of the strings and your hands are touching it. I think that if you get a good sounding neck, that's kind of... The body changes it some. The body changes, you know, a really soft wood like basswood, like Ellen Holdreth, Scott Henderson used to use, yeah. made for a big, bigger sound up tone, up tone up top on the high searing leads, but yeah. not as tight and not as punchy for the rock stuff. Where the Les Pauls that are heavy sound really great for punchy stuff. So, I think that 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 kind of uh, that kind of shapes the tone a little bit. But the main tone maker is the neck and the pickup I've, yeah, well, yeah. For sure. what's the radius on this neck it's like super round it's like when they measure they said it was like yeah. six something six points <laughs> it's like it's really round but I, you can bend it pretty good you can, because, you can bend it because uh, I don't want to break this guy Norik Renson um, uh, when he put the frets in I had to have it refretted yeah there it goes so when he put the frets in but he made the frets a little bit flatter so they're actually shaped a little bit flatter Especially than the radius the, of the fret the top he, of the neck. he didn't want to lose any of the, the patina of the the wear on the neck and it feels good in your hands i think i'm used yeah. to it would you play a little bit through your setup switch, sure, switch, switcheroo. the old you'll take my 55 i like the vintage so i can't really afford it but i, I just kind of get i trade stuff and i trade up and i'm holding across and 55 what is a melody maker that's, no that's a les paul jr this is les paul jr they look the same that's a melody maker uh, okay. It's a, the body's not this thin. The body's yeah. melody makers a lot thinner, a lot thinner, and they came with these little ceramic pickups that are kind of beginners. Yeah. Um, but they're great. You know, the thing is, like this is we're looking at another guitar up here on my wall. Is a I use it for my pedal steel yeah. effect because uh, I have a be, uh, palm pedal on it. But that um, yeah. the neck is exactly the same neck as you'd find on a '59 anything. beautiful song that is one of yours uh yeah thanks we we're gonna do it last night and i chickened out only because we were having so many problems with the pa system it was like we kind of turn yeah we have a great singer in our band that comes up max ann lewis he's an old friend of mine and we get her up um and last night at the baked potato I had some problem with the sound with the new board they had there and the sound guy <laughs> I just ordered a martini and got Max up there to do cover songs pretty much for the end of the night just to cause it made it easier it's fun funny easy yeah. fun but I usually do that song live um, on the record it was Genevieve Artati the girl from the band uh, Nowhere yeah yeah we which they're great they're part of the new generation of really good 
thinking oh, yeah. fun people, I think. Her and um, Lewis. Lewis Cole. Lewis Cole there. It's so yeah. sick. Yeah. I love that. But um, so can you give us like for someone like me or anyone out there who knows kind of how to use a soldering iron, but uh-huh. has always shied away from maintaining and or building. What what are the top five things you would say you would need to learn how to do or tips as far as well starting to maintain what, your own guitars including soldering and everything else mm-hmm. setting them up what, what, what are the things you would the nuts that, and bolts need to know the things that people, most people get scared of when they're working on their own guitars is soldering and uh, adjusting the truss rod for some reason those are the ones that, that people are afraid to go near and they can be done bad and you can mess up a guitar pretty badly but man you know to mess up a truss rod you'd have to sit there and crank it like a tire jack you know to really do any harm to the guitar or use the wrong size allen wrench which i did once which and ruin- could strip out the little nut yeah i ruined a fender neck that way but uh mm. so back up so how, what can are, do it too. going to soldering what are the what are the well you gotta have a good soldering gun i learned um when i first started soldering it was like a cheap radio shack uh soldering gun that i was so old and had been i had never cleaned it off and it was like wouldn't get hot enough and um you know, I, I, what I really learned is like when you heat up, when you do anything, any kind of soldering, you've got to make both points of connect of connectivity. Like you got to heat them both up. Um, yeah. You know, kind of prepare them, prepare the surface by what do they call it? Tinning, where you you know they you got to there's like there's certain little techniques you learn, which you can probably go on YouTube and Google. You know, yeah. soldering techniques 101. But you know, I learned the hard way because I did it like badly, and people would look at my stuff and go, "Whoa, Alan, you need to work on your soldering techniques." And I never really thought it mattered until you know I got in a gig and one pickup wouldn't work because I had put it in myself, or something came out, or somebody like sent a, a guitar back that I'd worked on, or a something. Cold you know? joint, you used a cold solder or something. Yeah, so like- cold solder joint, or you know you have too much glob on there it's 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 easy thing to over solder to put too much stuff and you don't really need that much solder for it to really hold but you in your mind you think the more you put on the harder it's going to hold you know of course sometimes but uh i don't know you know i kind of do it for myself i don't mind if it's something really um sometimes like you know if i have a split coil humbucker that i want tapped which i don't want but i mean if i wanted something like that i would have to really go and do some extensive knowledge i don't really understand the way electronics work yeah. As well as guys like Jamie Kime or Dave Friedman do, but um, but so that's you know, a skill in itself is knowing how to research schematics and yeah, read well, them. I mean, I can, I can kind of read you know like yeah. for wiring for most guitars I do them here, but my stuff's pretty simple, straight ahead yeah. stuff. I do mostly the tweaking I do is more on the getting the neck right. There's guitars that come from the Fender factory and from traditional guitar setups you have to have room for the string to oscillate you, know, you have the two contact yeah. points in the string is like a big jump rope you know so it's going like it's oscillating yeah. and so you need space and that's why they have compensation in the neck at all and um but when you start messing around with the neck um the pitch of the guitar the angle of the string and the 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 straightness of the of the neck it changes the feel immensely that's yeah. what i noticed right off the bat i mean even a little thing one time i had a les paul um that uh, it was a 56 Les Paul that I'd converted, to, that had been converted to two humbuckers. It was a beautiful gold top. I don't know why I sold it. Well, I do know why I sold it. Somebody plopped a big stack of cash in my front of me, and I went, okay. <laughs> but um, I had it in Europe for, I was doing this tour several years ago, and I had this gold top, and I played like every day a lot, you know, for gigs, and yeah. I was doing workshops, <clears throat> and I was doing the um, the uh, wraparound Billy Gibbons, Dwayne Allman thing yeah. where they go around, they feed the the stop tailpiece from the inside towards the back of the car and then you pull it over the top so there's less angle and I used to think I just kind of did it because I've just always done it that way in a Les Paul not really 
thinking about the tension that much. Then I came back in town and I had I gave it to Norik Renson <clears throat> to do something for me. I don't know if you put new pickups in it, but when he put it back together, he put it the traditional way. You know, just stringing it from yeah. the back of the tail, the stop tail piece through the over the then over the AVR bridge, and I could feel a difference. It felt right. like you'd put on like you know he- like an, a gauge or two heavier strings. There was more string to tension me, that way. There was more string tension way. that way. There was more string tension. Yeah. So the less of an angle break, the more the less the better the tension is. The less tension there is, and it just felt more like rubber bands. So I immediately went back. So there is something to it, and you know, exotic so were, even. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I was saying so the rule there is to try every different possible all your different options. Well, yeah, but I think Tommy to Emanuel and Dean Parks, like some other players I know, that keep their necks really super straight too. Because once you straighten the neck out, and then uh, you know, then you have to. Then the trick is just that you have minimal room for uh, for yeah. error. So you have to. It's kind of like adjusting the brakes on an old car, I guess. You get there's a lot of upkeep involved. If I go to Europe or go ever travel, I have to take a kit with me to, so I can adjust the neck um, depending on what the weather's like if it changes just a little bit the action will feel differently and you stuff keep your necks pretty straight really perfectly straight yeah oh, so you're a perfectly straight player so that's why some guys who have a really heavy right hand guys who have a really heavy right hand will get a buzz going They'll, they, you all hear buzz like when Dan Gilbert who's a great player from my has a really heavy right hand he has a single string alternate picking stuff but when he picks my guitar it's like buzzes and I'm going gee that's crazy but I don't hear it with myself see yeah, if you hit it hard. But when I play, I don't I don't yeah. hear that, you know. Yeah. Or if I do hear it, it doesn't bother me. And, and to me, it's worth it for the feel of the guitar. I think if you listen to Tommy Emmanuel, he doesn't really get a pure, you know, guitar tone yeah. all the time. You know, I think he, he does that for his feel as well, I think. His feel and... What are the tips for uh, adjusting a truss rod? Uh, just that you just know that you can, as long as you have the right tool, like you were saying, I guess you could strip it out. But um, and they can all be fixed if you strip it out too. No, but for truss rod, you can't really mess it up. You know, you just make sure you only turn like a quarter turn at a time. That's the secret because it yeah. doesn't take much. Sometimes guitars sit around for a long time and they're and the truss rod is really loose, so you have to turn like four or five times so you can feel it kind of catch. And then usually you have to just turn a quarter turn and that'll make all the difference in the world. But I, I ruined this Jeff Beck neck. Wow, that's Fender hard. was very nice. They sent me another one. It's, yeah. But I put in the, the wrong size Allen wrench, and I mm. felt like it might work, and I turned it and then stripped it. Stripped and, it out, yeah. And my my impression was that that neck is toast. Like, you can't get in there and replace that. Or can um, you? Well, truss rod. I think it's... I, you're I'm talking about a Fender guitar that's a... Um, you had to stick the Allen wrench down the dark hole... So I, the truss rod is on the headstock? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that might be different. I know that on the, the ones on here, there's like a little yeah. cap on the end of it for the or screwdriver, something. and you can replace that. You can replace yeah. the end, and some guys do to compensate to make guess, give you a little yeah. more room, a little more play. So I'm not really sure because I don't, I don't have, once again, my traditional snobbery, um, I've always liked guitars that don't have the truss rod there. The I mean, unless, unless yeah. it gets like them on the heel, right? So heel might be replaceable if you somehow ruin it, which would be hard to do. They're usually like it'd be pretty hard to do. Phillips I mean, screwdriver kind of things yeah. usually. I mean, I've seen I've, in myself. I've gone in before when I left the pickup yeah. in here, left the neck on, and went in there and I messed up the pickup because I was like just forcing it in <laughs> over the top of the pickup. It's just like yeah. I've done a lot of stupid things. I remember back, I had a '65 Strat when I first came to MI, 1985, and um, this was like when. Right when before Floyd Roses were out, I think, but it was like right they were starting to get into the locking thing, and there was a one company called Rockinger, which 
which is a way to get the locking uh, nut without having to rattle your guitar for a Floyd Rose. And they had a big slab of metal that would go on the upper side of the nut and you screw it down. And I remember I, screw, I had a drill and I screwed right through the back of the guitar. I mean, I was, I was an idiot. 65 strap. Painful. We all did things like that years ago, I guess. But, um... Yeah. So, um... My new record, by the way, is, um... Right now, it's on hold, because I wanted to make sure I told... A lot of people have been writing me, asking, what's up with the record? You said it was done years ago. And it was, but now the record label wants to repackage the whole thing, and they're going to have a different name. Because I called it uh, The Good Fight, which was kind of an introspective look at the world at the time because I went through a lot since 2016 um, and COVID and everything and I just called it the good fight because po- politically and everything you have to kind of keep a uh, you, know, you have to stay strong these days so anyway that was what it was kind of about and, um, and they want to make it a little less retrospective so they're going to put a couple commercial songs on the record maybe lose a couple of the weirder fusion songs and hopefully it's going to come out in the next year that's their plan yeah like they said, they said, Alan, whenever I voice a little concern about it, they go, just trust the process. So for once in my life, I'm going to let them do and see yeah. what happens, you know. This could be good for you. Well. So far it is. We'll see. We'll see so far. But I mean, you know, since COVID happened, I mean, my, I'm not going to Japan as much as I used to, or I'm not going to Europe as much. So I'm kind of here doing a lot of lessons at home. Yeah. I still get some royalties from certain things I've written for TV and stuff. Yeah. Um, and teaching at MI, I'm back there one day a week. Now, um. You said something to me once when uh, we were both at MI, and I was, uh, you know, on the administrative side, although I did do a little bit of teaching, which was fun. Yeah. But it was a great suggestion. You said, you know what? There needs to be a class called, we didn't really have a title yet, or you didn't, but you said, like, play the melody. (laughs) And um, I thought that was really key, because I feel like a lot of guitar players, when they're learning to play lead they're all focused on scale patterns and boxes and all these mathematical geometrical shapes but the essence really uh, you were saying and i agree is play that melody like you know whatever it is can you play a melody on the guitar what would you expand on that yeah yeah well um it kind of i think that comes from being really connected with your instrument where you, you, you know, the melody is what the song is about and to do it right i mean it takes even the simplest melodies take a lot of concentration and discipline just to time wise you know there's more to playing a lick than just playing the note it's not just a dot on the page it's all the expression of how long how long you hold out where you put the vibrato on it um where you started of course is is important um and the tone you use to make it singable um where you uh, put it in time whether you well time behind or before yeah that's it depends on the the song um i there was another school called Shepherd University. It was kind of a short-lived school that opened up. It was myself. Well, they could pull me in at the last, but it was um, Abraham Laboreal Sr., great bass player, Jimmy Brownlee, a great Cuban drummer, Otmaro Ruiz, great keyboard player, and myself. We were the head of all the... It was funny. They had these big posters that would say, this is Latin jazz. With my picture up there, I was like, I don't think so. But they had to call it something. Else. But those guys were all like serious yeah, Latin guys. Badass. But there I, I, so I got to develop a couple classes and I started, like I started one fusion class where I talked about uh, my favorite fusion players, went into depth about their styles and their history and their, I knew some of them, yeah. you know, Robin Ford and Larry Carlton, Holdsworth a little bit, Scott Henderson. Um, 
And then I had this other class that was called studio guitar, which uh, we would spend a lot of the time just doing like, it might be a week of doing double stop stuff, you know, working on, yeah. uh, you know, uh, or the Paul Jackson type things with the volume yeah. pedal, or we would work on uh, the next week might be single note stuff. It's going. The next week might be a wah wah, trying to get, trying to get the sound where you could go. Uh, sorry. Just to get yeah. live happening, learning how to work your wah wah. So we, I broke it down to all these rhythm parts. I had some rhythm parts going. Uh, or I'd do like the, um, uh, the once the, or the six stuff when you're playing classical yeah. guitar. Do you? Whatever a little part that I, you you commonly hear on a Sting yeah. song or a, whatever was popular at the time. And so I broke it down into like um, several weeks of just techniques like that. And then what I would do is I would uh, um, we were in, they had these really nice studios set up over there, and I bring the students in, and we, I would pull up a chart that they'd never seen before, and I'd play I'd play producer. So I'd say, okay, here's the here's the melody line, and I might play the melody for them, and then I'd have them like play. Um, a rhythm part for it or maybe play a melody too yeah. and then we being able to see it on the grid because a lot of students don't realize that they're rushing or they don't realize yeah. the difference the time can make and so when you could sit there not only could you you, you could see them. it not only could you hear it, but you could actually see it like ahead of the grid like in pro tools or something and usually yeah, yeah and usually it was ahead of the grid was the problem and that's i think it's like it's a yeah. common problem with most guitar players maybe it's a combination of both both hands um i don't know it's a common thing i mean i know several famous guys who've confessed to me their weaknesses and playing some rhythm parts certain grooves gave them problems yeah. i won't mention names but they used to is like some of my teachers when i was at mi said yeah you know i always had a problem with like you know the slow six eight and they just could never get that timed right yeah. certain certain grooves certain tempos so uh, the whole thing about playing a melody and the whole challenge of that is being able to see where your time is to know and, learn, and playing with a lot of singers I realize that Randy Crawford Roberta like these guys play so far on the back of the beat that it's almost on the beat behind it so I would, I would approach teaching students I would say a beat is not just a dot on a page think of the beat as being this big and you can either yeah. play it here or here. And you, know, you got your hands really wide. Yeah, right you have your hands three feet apart. And you, go, you can either play on the your left hand or towards your right hand, depending on you want to play on top of the beat or behind it. And it makes a huge difference. And I'd try to d demonstrate with a drum machine, you know. I can kind of, you know, do it, kind of place up this little rush, and it just makes you feel on edge. And it's, yeah. even though it's technically, you would write it out exactly the same. It's, it's So then it yeah. becomes a, it's such a minutia that it just becomes, you call it just feel. Um, oh. But playing a melody... Um, what are some other things that taught me? Yeah, taught me now. It it not only teaches you how to improvise over the song that you know it's if you're playing over Stella by Stella, you're playing some kind of standard, and you play a melody. The melodies usually kind of outline what the chords are, so you kind of get an idea of what uh, vibe they're going for when you when it comes to solo. To me, oh yeah. Um, well, I used I used yeah. to always tell students like it's like the game Frogger. Like if you're trying to dodge all these chords the whole time, there's like a chance you're going to get squashed but the melody is like this perfect simple straight line right through all those chord changes and none of them will hit you funny, so that's like a good place to start if you don't know how to solo over some song like that has some weird chords i remember joe diorio remember did you ever know joe diorio diorio was that the legend he was before your time he was at school the whole time i was there i remember one time he called me and it might have been him and joe pascal i did a couple workshops with both those guys together and they were doing um what's the song that goes on All the things you are. 
Yeah, when it was. So they said, Alan, play a solo. And because I, I knew my, my theory, I knew that the first five chords were all in the key of A flat, right? Right? So they, we were playing, they played the chords, and I just started playing an A flat something. They said, okay, stop again, Alan? They said, starting from the top. So they started playing the chords again. Yeah. And then they stopped me again and said, play, play the chord, play the solo with nobody playing chords. So I went, they said, I can't hear the song. So what they were really trying to get me to do was go. Right? Really concentrate on chord tones. Yeah. Uh, at least targeting the chord tones. So that was, that's, that, uh, that's really what the melody, the melody yeah. for that song is, uh, what is it? You know, third, yeah. third, third third they're all like thirds of the chord right. so it's, that's kind of an exercise can i could you play some of oh. that changes it sounds so nice let me see if i can get a yeah, decent um, rhythm to... uh, yeah i'd have to um i'm not a real jazz guy but um if oh, i can see the chord it. changes to make sure well, or we could do a different song if you no, want no, that's a good one that's a good one but i just want to um look at the chord changes while it's going by to make sure i don't go left there's nothing to do i was never I, I mean i understood you know um one thing that kind of separated me from other guitar players at MI as a student was that I could play over five, I could play over jazz stuff pretty easily. Um, yeah. Well, I'll say that and then I'll now I'll screw yeah. it up. But, um, and what I did at the time, I just worked on five ones. Um, I remember there was a Michael Jackson song. Um, do you, um, what's it? Do you remember the time? Is that the name of the song? Uh, do you remember the time? Dun, 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 dun. Do you remember the time? Is it Michael Jackson? Really famous in the 80s. But basically it was like a 5-1. But a really cool, funky Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis groove, right? So I just remember making a loop of that. Uh, I remember Don Mock heard me doing it. I remember Don Mock was another teacher at MI for years. And I just looped that and practiced my altered scale resolving to one forever and that I then I realized um, and I had some other exercises I used for my students then I realized that that's really those synapses are, have to go to work when you're playing over chord changes because yeah. it's, it's really no there's no scales and all the things you are that we don't know it's just you know changing at the right time and hitting yeah. the chord tones on the right beats but um, yeah just knowing how to do a 5-1 really enabled me to kind of get gigs and auditions and stuff that other students other guitar players couldn't do because yeah. I could you know Gino Vanelli threw a weird chord sequence at me I kind of knew where to go with it uh, but um
I never memorized real book songs either. I just kind of, yeah. I always had to have the chart out in front of me. Those are the things about playing a melody too. It's just uh, I've you know, I feel like it's really fun. It's like, I'm trying to think because um, most people will respond to a melody like if the singer or someone or an audience members like if you're playing a great melody solo whatever more so than if you're hitting all these patterns really like that's for the guitar players but the people you know great st- I've always feel like maybe music is almost taught backwards like. If you're going to learn a standard, learn the melody and then build off of that. Because that's where jazz came from. Yeah, of course. Was taking these melodies and then well, stretching out on them. It's true, though. I mean, there's a lot of there's a, a lot of really great players that are have technical prowess light years beyond anything I'll, I'll ever have. And it's it's impressive to an extent. But then, you know, when you hear them play really slow um, melodies, it's, you kind of hear their soul a little bit more, don't you? I mean, you, you kind of hear their personality yeah. and you... It makes a huge difference. I mean, I, this one where I like playing that song, the Steps Ahead song we do. That, yeah. um, uh, Can you do a solo? This is a. All in E minor. That little play me the second It's cool how they end up in that key too, even though it's basically a diatonic song until they just teleport to that different yeah. tonality. Steps Ahead was really they were there's great clips thank God for YouTube there's some great old clips of Mike Minieri who I love to meet one day because he wrote the best songs of this band called uh, Mike Minieri's band it was called Steps Steps Ahead and they had Michael Brecker or yeah. or Bob Berger or some great sax player always Chuck Loeb played with them for a while but he also um, Hiram Bullock played some with them uh, they have, oh, all yeah. their songs had these really great Mike Stern did a lot of yeah. tours with them uh, Daryl John Daryl Daryl Jones uh just a great band, great songwriting. But I've run into Gerald Jones twice at a 
local food establishment that I won't name. He's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> this guy's like, there's a Rolling Stone here. Oh, and he's yeah. I actually had lunch with him one time with uh, Stuart Ham. So right? he did some. He did a thing in MI, and, and yes, we had me and Stuart Ham and, and him. You know, I got to have lunch at that. Interesting. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. I've met him. Uh, we did a couple gigs with a. There's an old singer named Mark Ledford, yeah. who was a really multi instrument He's the guy who played with Pat Metheny like back in the '80s. All those like vocal yeah. parts and. He, he played trumpet. He played guitar. He whistled really well. And so Pat yeah. used his a lot of his uh, yeah. his stuff in his records. And um, I did a few tours with Mark in Europe with Will Calhoun on drums and uh, oh, yeah. Daryl Jones played bass on a couple of gigs we did at Lavalie. Remember that club Lavalie? Yeah, yeah. I first came down here way before I moved here in 2009. But two, yeah, so that was Scott kind of Henderson hat. there. Yeah. And uh, um, Marco Mendoza trio. I used, I used I to play with those. Marco and Joey a regular Joey thing there for a while. Every Tuesday, we, yeah. you know, be, having my own show, having my own music is a big, is a huge learning. I and I, I tell all my students, you know, it's great that you can play as good as you can play, but you know, in the long run, you kind of wanted. To, I wish I'd started my original career or doing my original when I was twenty. I didn't start till yeah. I was forty-five or something doing my own original stuff, you know, um, and actually the first many records I've had I just put out myself I made them myself yeah. I paid for them I sent them to CD Baby and I had distribution in Europe and Japan for a second there but uh, never had a record label helping me and I've yeah. kind of made a name but more than any of that of how famous that might have made me or not um, the learning process is just so valuable you know when you have to record your own stuff and you have to put a whole record together number one you gotta try to write the songs make them concise you know making sense of it all songs with bridges and parts then you got to find the right musicians to interpret it right that's hard enough then you got to like tweak things then you have to you know mix it is like a whole learning process because i've heard i've had mixers just completely just really kind of well-known guys destroy my mixes who would like put a lot of compression on it and also in the song had no dynamics um things like that i've got to deal with the budget the budget, yeah. Take how some do you planning, come, right? Huh? Take some planning to. Yeah, out, right? I mean all this stuff, but every stage of it is a learning process. I mean, you know, having to redo things, of course, always is more expensive. That was always the least. I mean, I always found some way to borrow money or sell a guitar or something, but it, it was more the other stuff was a nightmare. Getting to mix it, mastering can ruin or make a record. Um, then getting the artwork, then getting the whole package together and trying to like have confidence enough to give it to anybody, and then have them like it and then then the whole process of trying to how do you get it out to the world you know yeah. my first record fact of the matter i remember the first person i ever gave it to was hiram bullock and we were at the nam show in 1995 i loved hiram bullock he was man. great did you ever meet him he's a great guy never met him but when i was a teenager i saw him and marcus miller throw wow. down it and um and i mean the perform every you could just watch any limb on his body and just Feel there's the a, music. Recently, I've, been, I've actually showed people there's a great YouTube of him on the David Letterman show where yeah. he's, a, but he's backing up James Brown like in 1995, and James Brown is doing Sex Machine, and they're both, and Hiram, you can see him in the back, of, you, know, you can see Hiram in the back, he's just like, every, he's just in so much motion, and James Brown turns around and sees him and runs back there, and they're dancing together, and it's fucking great. Oh, but, um, I gotta find this. So yeah, you, he, gave, met, you gave your record to I used Hiram. To, I used to see Hiram, I used to play in Europe a lot with Randy Crawford, and this is back in the early 90s, and we used to go we used to do all these jazz festivals and we were doing like Montreux Jazz Festival with Jamiroquai all these like pretty famous so we were hanging backstage with all these guys and at that point we were all just a bunch of musicians hanging out having a beer or whatever back and uh, I remember Hiram and I we kept running across each other because he was with um, either his own thing or uh, Marcus Miller or yeah. one of those guys and he just we just got along 
you know, he kind of respected me because he knew I had a decent sense of humor. And he, I guess he heard me play or something. I don't know. But he was always really nice to me. And I would see him. We'd always hang and have a shoot the bull. And then, uh, so I saw him at the NAMM show. I was walking to the NAMM show and I had like, you know, nervously hold, clutching, you know, 10 copies of my new CD. I gave him one of my, I said, this is my first thing. And he said, cool. And like about a week later, he sent me this email, which I, I might still have. I hope, I wish I still had it. But he went through every song and told me what he loved about every song. And he said, how did you do this? And he said, what is, how did you, who played slide guitar in this? And how did you do this ambience? You know, and he was like yeah. really complimentary on everything, which made me love him that much more. He didn't have to do that, you know. And it really meant a lot to me just because I, you know, when you throw yourself out in the world like that, it's pretty, you're pretty vulnerable, you know, and people yeah. can, you know, tear you apart. And that would, would have destroyed me and my ego, my little, you know, flame. but, you know, it really, things like that really helped help along yeah, the way you, you know all people. those things when you put out your own music yeah so that and so i encourage my students i say you know you, you need to leave a mark i have a couple of students from last quarter at mi who are really great guitar players there's a young guy in there named eric uh, uh, i don't know I his last name he's, i haven't been in the building in years he's been teaching there for doing like ta stuff but he's got a lot of a lot of really great like uh He's like a Ted Green meets Julian Lage, like really oh, yeah. great. He can do chord melodies really beautifully. Nice. I won't tell you, the only thing he needs to work on, he, once again, is his time. Like when he plays with me, his time, he rushes, you know, which is, a, I don't know if he gets nervous, but that, you know, he'll, as long as he, as long as they can realize that, they can overcome that yeah. stuff, you know. That's the main thing. But yeah, playing the melody, um, and, you know, back to the, that point, um, that's, and I was going to, I know that where I, was, where I was going with all this is, you know, the fact that I've had to play my songs in concert and play the melodies to all my songs live and I know what a huge difference that makes do you hear that song we did the other night the waltz or we did that second set there's a song I wrote for my mother called waltz for Tina that's really I love playing it because it's it's the melody is so simple but it's like the steps ahead song you got to play it with conviction and it's got to be really slow and yeah. that's what Larry Carlton could do so well too he could just had a, such a handle on playing great melodies really and Holdsworth, when I listen to Holdsworth stuff, the earlier stuff when he played with Jean-Luc Ponty, his solos would come in and they're really simple, but his time and his phrasing and how long he held them, that's like everything. That's that's where yeah. I get the most goosebumps, you know. Can you play a melody for us right now? Now I'm putting uh, you on the spot. Melody. Anything. Well, it could I don't... be Sleepwalk. It could be... I don't know. It could be anything. It could be Amazing Grace. I can play that Septa Headthand song we were just playing. Oh man, I wish. Well, we already kind of played that, I guess, but I, I, I already butchered that one for you. <laughs> no. Dude, you're a great player, man. That's why you've been <laughs> doing as much work as you have, because you're. You have. I don't have the bridge on And that. you must know the the value of playing good time, playing with Starship, because you've got to. You can't play those parts and yeah. mess around with the stuff of, you know. That's what kind of separates the men from the boys when it comes to audition time, you know. That's why Owen Barry, I'm, I'm not surprised at all he got the job of the tricks. He always had really great conviction and the time feels just great. A lot of yeah. guys can play the same licks, but it's yeah. like where he puts them in the where he, yeah. time wise, yeah. How does that make you feel when you hear them, right? There's one song I had that I was another one song, probably my most famous song, I guess if I, if I have a famous song, is Falling Up. Yeah. What's this one? A G. So the, that little sequence goes at three, four. 
time. And changes. I wrote that in MI, um, playing with this uh, Abraham Laboreal Jr. stylus drum loop. And I ended up using it on a groove on a few of my songs. But um, Is that from the thing Burning Grooves? Uh, it's from the, this, it was a stylus thing called... I used to have a CD from him called Burning Groove in the age where you get a CD of drum loops, and they're amazing. It might be on there, too. This anyway. was a, Silas had a package called uh, it was New Orleans Grooves. That was the kind of groove I just kind of got it right anyway i made this as i i at home i used an ebo and slide and wawa and did these like so very vocal saying wow around on and it was like i did like um if you listen to the tracks it's it's interesting because you can hear these sounds like a queen all like all these stacked layers of vocals but it's all ebo and wawa which i could isolate for you and show you here because i have a copy of it anyway so i had that um that loop and I gave it to one of my students an mp3 of the song uh, and I gave it to a student and he somehow sold it or got it to this guy named Bob Bob's backing tracks which is a really famous backing tracks thing um, and so now I hear all that song has been recorded by there's probably a thousand versions of Falling Up by other people around the world That's and they're all using my backing tracks so you can hear me playing bass and hear me playing all my guitar parts behind the students little guy sitting yeah. in his man cave down in you know madagascar someplace you know making this song that's so cool yeah i do love that song you cuts from the album of the same name yeah falling up yeah that was... which you should do if the opposite title would be throwing down i guess <laughs> as a, or don't mix them up because then it's throwing up right no, exactly. so um <laughs> uh, yeah, for some reason that song is really stuck, and everybody kind of knows it. I remember I was, uh, who's the bass player who plays with the Yellow Jackets? Was it him or was it Scott Henderson's bass player? Some French guy. Anyway, we're yeah. backstage at the Big Potato or uh, out in the back hanging room, and uh, and he goes, he goes, Alan Hines falling up. That's all he knew. He just knew my name was associated with that one song. He's like, I guess this, if I'm going to cool. be famous for something, it's better that than you know tie a yellow ribbon, I guess. <laughs> hey, so can I get you to try a pedal? Have you? Tried oh. one of these? No. The what is Halo this? from Keeley. It's the Andy Timmons and Robert Keeley made this. It's oh, it's a delay pedal. Yeah, try it out. It's stereo though. I don't know if you can just quickly yeah. throw that in there and skip skip all this if you need, or go through your reverb. Is nine volt? Yeah. I don't know if it's too much of a pain, but you know, um, Andy Timmons used to have two giant memory man pedals and you get this great stereo sound but imagine how cumbersome that is right. so yeah, now he he um just uses this pedal that they created he's really great man i i, I, I met him once in the show we, we had a really fun hang and i've never what if you just go straight out of the skip the entire pedal board and just use just this pedal you don't have any reverb going do you Let's just hear just the pedal for a second. That's really nice, huh? That would double as a reverb. 
that's a nice yeah one stop shop it's the halo pedal from keely he likes it you know um the thing i've been working on you know how when you practice we practice like single lines and you if you get good enough on guitar and you're close enough you can kind of sing what you're going to play before you play it right yeah um so can you you get close to the bike yeah sorry so I've been working with my students with myself trying to do like two line improvising not as deep as Jimmy Weibel stuff yeah. but just being able to improvise hearing both where both notes are going so instead of going trying to hear and trying to before you get there where would the bottom note go yeah hey wait is the bottom note harmony or is it also a counter melody well it becomes it becomes a harmony but in my mind I'm just kind of trying to train my my ear to hear like that kind of stuff and sometimes you know it's It's weird. It's like a. It's almost like a meditation type of thing where you do that enough and you start kind of hearing it. And I end up coming up with like interesting little ideas that I never would come up with otherwise. And you know, because you know, you hear you at first listen, you kind of go, "That sounds really up." But if you combine it with some other notes, you know, and and it just it forces your ear to like get out of just thinking only one note is it, I, I'm trying there's a, there's something yeah. I'm, I know I'm going for something here and I don't know what it is exactly yet but I've been working on it with my solos yeah. even like when I'm in a good if, I, if you ever see me in a good night I kind of start experimenting with uh, more than just a single note thing. I've never anyway. seen you on a bad night but that's a, well, another you. discussion but this pedal is awesome um, are they expensive I'm guessing a couple hundred bucks 300 bucks something like that I mean I know that's a good question I'll look it up I know that for Andy, a big thing is using it with an expression pedal so you can kind of change the levels. That'd be a nice thing too. So if you want to get back to that, yeah. Looks like they're going for about, it's like 300 bucks. You know, I'm gonna loan it to you. I'm loaning it to you because I'm leaving for a month with the band we're doing. We're going out to do some rock and roll with Brett Michaels, Night Ranger, and us, oh, Jefferson yeah. Starship, for a month on Tuesday. You know I can take this with you? I wish I could fit it on my little board. Oh, you should, cool. You well, should fuck with it. What I'll do, um, maybe I'll put it on my board and I'll buy you a new one. It's whatever. We'll talk well, about it. I mean, it. yeah, okay. Yeah, let's do it. I'd, lo- I'd love to try this. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like... Um, I'm going to... Um, it just feels... I like the way it moves across the spectrum. Yeah, but, it's like... They worked really hard on it, and um, like I said, it's designed to be kind of like two memory man. This is how he would literally set them, like set the delay knobs by hand until they get that kind of ratio going, and they'd slightly get off for a while, so like you said, it turns into a reverb kind of a sound. It goes morphs from delay to kind of a verb, and uh, that's the deal. That's nice. Got that natural chorusing. 
I love this pedal. Sounds nice, huh? It's got um, six presets or something. You can store different things. Don't change preset number one, okay? That's that's this one. Okay. <laughs> so okay, when well, you figure out, you can change the other five. Because I think number one is Andy's setting. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's mm. the one that comes factory setting. That's oh, I see. the one we were, that it was you, first you, time when you first turned on the pedal. Is he still live in Texas? I'm sure he does, yeah. But, uh, you know, I see him on Facebook stuff. I always liked him a lot. I heard him with uh, Simon Phillips. He sounded really good. Hey, I got another present for you, too. This one is yours. <laughs> it's a capo from uh, G7. They make killer capos, and it's laser, hey, laser engraved on the top to say, no guitar is safe. <laughs> These are cool capos. So. Uh, awesome. Well, that is a cool capo. I should probably let you go, man. It's uh, getting late in the day. Thank you for... Uh, Time to play tennis. Yeah, man. Trying to get my... I lost my eyesight uh, a couple years ago in one eye. Which uh, is a whole story we haven't even talked about. But no, and I'm not, really glad you can play tennis. Well, what's the technical diagnosis of what happened? Uh, I had a detached retina. And uh, like an idiot, I didn't go the first day to get it fixed. So kids, if you start seeing a lot of floaters, go to your doctor immediately. And I waited like a week hoping to get better on its own. And I woke up one morning and it was opaque. It was like somebody just painted black across the, the bottom of my, it was just like, holy moly. So I went to the, and I didn't really have good insurance. Um, but I guess uh, even Medi-Cal covered my, but I had like two years of surgeries where they uh, tried to stitch it back and they wouldn't hold and it kept, it left a bunch of scarring on my lens, on my, uh, on my lens, yeah, on my retina. So, um, now they put a buckle around it. It was two years where I couldn't exercise. I couldn't play tennis. I couldn't even lift weights or do anything, ride a bike. Uh, and they just do head positioning. If you know, I mean, it's, it's you know the injury itself didn't hurt, but it's just the recovery and the the repair is Man, brutal. Sorry. So I do like head position. We had to like look down for all day long for like about three weeks. You can't look up. I had to do everything on my stomach, emailing on my laptop and stuff. And luckily, I could still play guitar looking down. Because they put a bubble in your eye, and that bubble has to, through gravity, go back and forth the retina flat. Anyway, so um, now it's like I got about. I'm legally blind. I can't pass my driver's test uh, with this eye. I can't read the number, the letters. But you can pass with the glasses and one eye. <sighs> no, uh, the well, uh, the driving test. I had to take a driving test. So I could, oh. like a, a 16 all over again. I had to parallel park for them, and they had to see that the motor, I had a motorcycle before, and that was too much of a blind spot for me to keep the bike which is kind of a drag. And tennis, I have such a love for tennis, you know? I couldn't, you have no depth perception with one eye. You should try, there's like a little yeah, girl, a little, my friend's daughter was out there the other day playing tennis, and I gave her my eye patch just to see, she, she wanted to see what it was like to play with one eye, and she was freaking out. She was like, oh my God, because you can't hear, you can't see how far the ball is away. I never played tennis, but you had like, you were like, a, you had a num numeral. What was your number? No, they, they rank you, uh, you get ranked by the USTA. Most okay. guys, it's like an ego thing. Guys say, oh, I'm a 5.0. It starts at three and goes four or five, yeah. but it's really incremental. So beginner players are 3.0s. So my point is you were like, you're serious. You, you, well, I used to play, compete in USTA, and I used to play pretty much. I mean, I'm not yeah. great, but I'm better than average for sure and uh never as good as the pros but i was maybe a four or 4.5 something like that which is a pretty good level but um on a good day but the thing is it's so much fun it's like exercise without even thinking it's exercise and it's it's just a great sport it's kind of you know having to having to somehow calculate all the spins and the angles that's coming at you and yeah. get back and the, get learning the right technique to hit a serve is like 
awesome. So anyway, I was a big tennis fan. So that's like two years of not doing that. And yeah, we've been so, watching tennis today on the thing in the back behind me. Yeah, I have Wimbledon on. Uh, so yeah, I just you know it took tell you the last several years have been really trying so uh but i've been getting back in shape and i've been playing tennis again and trying to calculate things now and it can be done it's just gonna be um i'm kind of been regulated to uh, probably kicked over to court three with the old farts for a while oh man you're you're here you but you can become a great blues player now yeah blind man hines has no it's got to be partially blind lemon hines (laughs) half blind hines half blind hines lemon or something half blind yeah exactly disadvantage (laughs) Half blind. Hey, well, you are playing your ass off, man. Keep it alive till you're a million and five. Yeah, I'll try. I'm still going. Thanks for meeting. Good to see you, Jude. Man, this was fun, man. Thanks. Uh, Let's do it again. It's the best. All right, man. Cool. No, the time is safe.